Previously on We've Got Ward. I feel like it would be very weird, like if we if we do this 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 concept of acceptance and this concept of that as the path forward, it seems like Tristan's on that path. If I had to bet, is he gonna die? Is he gonna tighten? Or is he gonna be fine? I think I would rank order it, like die first and then oh be fine and then tighten. I don't like this. <laughs> Put it that way. I don't like it. I mean, despite the fact that we're getting all kinds of death flags for Tristan, I think it's an optimistic ending. I have a hard time believing that, like, this person that's working so hard... Remember, remember, remember how, how hard the swan song was working? Tristan is not going to die, Matt. Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a doof media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and my co-host Scott Daly has asked to be allowed to prepare a statement uh, at this time. <clears throat> Friends, parahumans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Tristan, not to praise him. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is often turred with their bones. So let it be with Tristan. Well, thanks, Scott. That was beautiful. The noble Wildbow hath told you Tristan was ambitious. If it were so, it were a grievous fault. And grievously hath Tristan answered it. Here, under leave of Wildbow and the rest, for Wildbow is an honorable man, so are they all. All honorable men, come I to speak at Tristan's funeral. We uh, really got to start the show now. He was my friend, faithful and just to me. But Wildbow says he was ambitious, and Wildbow is an honorable man. Christ, he's going to do the whole thing. You said I could give a statement. I didn't think you were going to read the whole play. It's a very important to my expression as an artist, Matt. Please just start the show. Fine. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbow's world of just just literally weeping, uh, things that annoy birds and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, the Moonsong interlude continues as Brianna continues to work towards accepting Tristan. Unfortunately, Tristan can't seem to accept himself, and after an icicle oopsie involving tribute, he starts to tighten, but is able to take his own life moments before it happens. Then, Victoria, Kenzie, and Rain explore Shard World, and with the help of Tattletail, discover Contessa's secret lair. The rest of Breakthrough shows up, bringing some bad news. Matt, what did you think about these two very sad chapters? I mean, yeah, you, you pretty much said it. The, the, the Brianna interlude um, is perfectly constructed to deliver the emotional payload that it needs to. Yep. And then, if anything, I think the subsequent Victoria chapter um, really kind of pulls back from, you know, pushing our emotional buttons and just lets us rest for a second. I mean, it's it's almost um, 
just them kind of looking around the shard world for for clues. It's it's very it's almost kind of procedural in that way. Um, I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff in, and we're gonna have plenty to talk about. But um, I think it was mainly just giving us a bit of space to absorb that loss. Yeah, and I, I think I think we, I absolutely want to talk about that because I agree with you that that chapter feels. It's not that it's different from other chapters. It's just that like there is recognition that we're all going to need a moment here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because like I, I read this like moments after I finished the last chapter, which is not how you read it and not how a lot of the people following along with this book read it. And I still probably think even you and everyone else reading it the second it comes out probably still like needed a moment because like you get back into the chapter and the, the second you get back into the chapter, you're reminded of everything that just happened and you're like, okay, I still, I still need some time here. And the book gives you that time. It really does. Um, and I, I loved it for that. So lots, lots to talk about this week. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, quick announcements. We're going to be starting up the next fan art contest, the next quarterly fan art contest. Uh, I think March 4th is going to be the, um, the deadline, right? Correct. Yeah. And the topic, the theme of that fan art contest will be acceptance yeah pretty fitting huh fitting and i also i think it's interesting because like uh it's 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 abstract in a way that i think will lead to a lot of very different interpretations yeah yeah i I agree and i and i kind of like it for that um that's that's all we're telling you right just like make it something to do with either worm ward or even pact we've opened the fan art contest open to to pact as well so um pact entries that have to do with acceptance are fine and just take that that nebulous kind of abstract concept and uh and see what what it makes what does it make you think about in relation to the story um and i can't wait to see what everyone has to has to create with that uh the link to the rules and everything should be in the show notes for this episode and every episode every week until the contest is due so if you're ever if you ever forget that's where it is so go check that out and uh i look forward to seeing all those entries i love these i love these so much yeah, me too. Uh, one more announcement. Uh, so we're pretty excited to announce that we have brought a new podcast onto the Doof Media Podcast Network. Yeah. And that show is We Want More, which uh, the last word being M-O-R, uh, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. So basically this is a podcast read through of the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality fan fiction, which if you've heard of, you'll think is great news. And if you haven't heard <laughs> of, you'll be very confused. And you'll want to check it out because um, I don't recommend a lot of Harry Potter fan fictions, but I do recommend this one. Hey, have you have you ever recommended any other Harry Potter fan fiction? No. Okay. Have you, uh, have you uh, no, read that's not any true. other fan fiction? I've recommended my brother's Harry Potter fan fiction. Oh, yeah. That one was funny. Yeah. It that was started pretty... with a stupid, silly meme that he found and decided to write a whole, not a whole book, but. Yeah, well, he, he got pretty far into it, actually. He did. He did. Um, but anyway, it, it's it's hosted by new podcasting partners, uh, Stephen and Brian. Um, it's it's actually very much in the style of we've got Worm, um, except Stephen is the Matt, Brian is the Scott. And I like how uh, we're like a descripting, it's descriptive word now. Yeah, the we're, Matt. Ad, we're, we're adjectives. Um, so if you're into we've got Worm and into Harry Potter, them has rationality. Go check that out. Yeah, I think I think you'll enjoy it. We're very happy to have them on it. it we brought them in a year to the date from uh, the first time we brought on Elliot and Ruben. So it's been a year since we started expanding out to other podcasts and it's been a wonderful experience for it. We hope you, the listener, have enjoyed all these new uh, voices 
and uh, and new shows. And we hope to continue to do that. We we love bringing new people on board. We want to take this thing and grow it. And uh, we hope you guys are all on board for it. So um, if you are listening to that, please let them know what you think. Reach out to them and tell them you're enjoying their show because I'm sure they'll love to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Scott, 19.e. Yes. And I mean, somewhat to my surprise, we continue with the moon song interlude. I don't think I was expecting that. No, me neither. Like, in fact, I knew it was an interlude because right when we finished recording last week, it came out and I heard, saw it was an interlude and then spent like five days wondering who it was. And I was could not have been more wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Egg, Gilpatrick, Gilpatrick, moon song, moon song. So there we go. Interesting pattern. So we skipped ahead and we're in the thick of the fighting now, trying to corral panicking, unpowered volunteers as Titan Scotty looms over them all. They have a moment to prepare as Scotty is distracted by the images in the crystals. Yeah, I think so. We're, we're going to have a whole, whole, whole lot to say about the structural choice of this chapter, this cutting back and forth between uh, the present and then the near past. I, I think it's brilliant and I'll try to explain why. As we go through the chapter. But for now, I, I just want to state that this is a technique that Wildbow has used before. This is not the first time he's done this, although he tends to do it sparingly. The one the big one that jumped out in my mind when I was thinking about this was the moment where Victoria first meets Breakthrough. And then there's this kind of jump back and forth between her conversation with uh, Yamada um, and and this. I, I that's the big one that jumps in my mind. To me, it's normally like it's normally events that have like extreme importance, like you're building to an extremely important final moment of something and the ways in which the cut back and forth used to reinforce and kind of hint towards and make your, make the emotional point land works really, really well. And I can't wait to talk about why. Yeah. There's an interesting kind of parallel structure to it. Um, yeah. but yeah, let's, let's hold off on that for a minute. Sure. So yeah, Moonsong points out, for us that this team is just a terrible matchup for Titan Scotty because they don't have any tanks. They're, <laughs> they're all just nukers and support classes. So, yep. so that means they're in trouble. Yeah. But we do get to see reach together again. And, um, I love how Wild Bo almost immediately starts defining or, or perhaps redefining the dynamic of the situation. We see that that Furcate is off on her own, not lined up with the rest of the team. Tribute is to Moonsong's left. Tristan is on her right. The, it's like once again, like with Breakthrough, this is the Reach band back together or rather the, the surviving members of the Reach band back together for one last show. And we kind of immediately see how this dynamic is going to work because there's this great moment where Moonsong is calling out to Scribe and says, Scribe, arm yourself. And she doesn't react. And then Tristan says, Scribe. Tristan called out his voice louder because he'd always been loud. And then that's what gets Scribe's attention. So there's this natural tension between Moonsong and Tristan here. Of course there is. There was always going to be natural tension. And th this opening of the chapter reminds us of that tension and the places where Tristan can be useful, but in his use will uh annoy moonsong a little bit <laughs> right um it's like even in this life and death situation he's occupying a not insignificant fraction of her attention and and like as a leader she's having to sort of work around the limitations of the subordinates that she that she has and i think tristan is kind of standing out in her mind as somebody who she doesn't really know if she trusts she has such mixed feelings about him yeah, um yeah and you know as we see right here this section, this particular section ends with Moonsong refusing to juggle Tristan's building chunks despite him requesting it. Um, and and th this is just kind of an indication of like 
p- part of it we'll see later is that she doesn't trust herself. But in the moment, it kind of reads like she's just shutting down Tristan's strategic idea. Yeah. And, and I think that's so important because this relationship is kind of uh, the core of the chapter, right? Every Everything hinges on the relationship between Tristan and Moonsong here. So it's really important that here at the start, we again reinforce this mistrust there. Tristan asks for help with something. Moon th- Moonsong, through, because of and through all the shit that she's dealing with and deals with re- with regards to Tristan, uh, denies him that. She says no. We're, we're leading to this realization from Tristan, a realization that comes from uh, a misinterpretation at his darkest moments, but this is, this is a beat that builds to that realization, right? Because you can kind of see in the back of Tristan's head is like just an exasperation of like, Oh my God, she's never going to trust me. They're never going to trust me again. They're never going to like me. I'm, I'm, I I don't belong here. Why am I even here? They don't even want me here. Like you can kind of see that thought process in his head, even though like just, just based on what we know about him, nothing that the text is saying to us here. Right. It's like he's offering his, um, his services as a way of making amends. And even as he does so, he kind of feels like it's worthless and it's not being accepted anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it reminds me of last week or maybe the week before when, when, uh, like, I, I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's Tribute who, who says, who just like snaps at him very, very kind of cruelly about murdering his brother. And he kind of like starts to defend himself and then he just kind of gives up because that's, that's not the point of why he's here. But, but it's, it's obvious that he's not, he's not getting, he's not getting anything out of this, if that makes sense. Like, like he desperately wants them to accept him. I think. Yeah. And he's not getting any of that. And and if, if anything, it's just rubbing salt in the wound to be around these people. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think there's this interesting beat here where you wonder if like he saw in his head him being a hero in this moment, like he comes in here and saves all their lives. And then that allows them to see his worth again mm-hmm. and, and maybe wins them back over. And like, he sees that as his path forward. And that of course, um, that of course pays off beautifully in the fact that the exact opposite happens instead of saving them, he accidentally kills one of them. Um, and that's why, and and I think all this is leading up to that moment, right? Like this is, we're leading up to this moment of, of the oopsie and we're kind of laying the seeds for why this is such a a big deal. Like, especially in this moment. Yeah. Right. It, it, It actually very much parallels the first time he made a terrible mistake, right? Because he, he was in exactly the same mindset where he was willing to do something um, crazy risky in order to get what he wanted. And that is not the mindset to be making those decisions. And that was the mindset he was in when he, you know, murdered Brian Byron. Mm-hmm. And that was, and that's now the mindset that he's in when he makes this terrible mistake. And it's like, he, he, I don't want to be hard on the, on the kid, but it's like, he didn't learn anything. And I think that's part of what's part of what the story is doing with this character. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would go that far to say he didn't learn anything, but I, I know what you mean. I know what yeah. you mean. Yeah. So then we skip back in time and Moonsong is talking to Tribute. Everything's calm. She's offering him an out because apparently he had a scare previously where something happened and, and he, he it, things look dangerous for him. Yeah. Um, they also talk between themselves about how they're the only two left uh, because they kind of don't count for Kate and they kind of don't count Tristan. Yeah. Um, and they also agree that, that they most miss uh, figurehead in quaff 
Yeah, and and so we're in a moment after the previous chapter, but before the Scotty Doom that we just witnessed uh, at the beginning of this chapter, everyone is resting and taking a beat, and this allows our characters to kind of explore some of the things that they're thinking and feeling, and we get this tribute is doing really, really bad thing, but like every other hero in this fucking book, he can't sit out, he couldn't possibly sit out the battle, because no one can just fucking sit out when they're not feeling good, um, which is both admirable and like, ugh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> come on. Um, but I love how this conversation begins with this kind of super detailed description of the phases of both her and Tribute's costumes. We move from their time in Reach to their time in, in the Attendant and then finally to their time with the Shepherds. And we see how their costumes shifted and changed over these moments. And it, it almost to me serves this kind of great metaphorical summary of the journey these two have been on, like from reach and their big, like corporate costumes to the attendant, which were more almost clothed looking costumes to the flowy shepherd costumes. It's like, we're seeing the journey these two have gone on. And then we finish this, this journey with this description of tributes costume with the blood settling in the folds and crevices. And I just love that sentence, the blood that had settled into the folds, just like that, that idea of like, death and and violence and horribleness has just settled into your identity because costumes are part of your identity right and so like that has just settled into tribute himself um and i don't know i just thought that was so clever just in this little moment where on the surface it could just be like well i just wanted to let you all know what they their costumes are like but it goes so much more than that mm -hmm. yeah no I, I love that pull um another thing just to point out is like it's perfectly congruous that Moonsong is having these ruminations because mm -hmm. we know her to be someone who thinks about image, who thinks about poise. She's very much like Victoria in this way. And, and sure. I mean, we, we had that moment where she listens to Victoria come on over the radio and recognizes the admirable, you know, showmanship of Victoria. So, so she has these traits in her. And so she's going to focus on this and it makes perfect sense. Like we didn't talk about it at the time, but I remember in the egg interlude, he's he's so... He, he's so fixated on physical descriptions of the other K-53s in ways that other characters aren't necessarily because that's where hit is at, where his head is at like all yeah. the time. Um, so I just, I think this is a great, a great writing lesson. Um, I mean, Wildblow does this consistently, but it, he does it so consistently that sometimes I forget that it's a good thing to talk about uh, that, that when we're in an interlude character's head, the types of things they focus on, are the types of things that that kind of character would focus on. They're not just like, oh, Wablo wanted to make this point about costumes. This is what yeah. Moonsong would actually be thinking about. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, I think we do lose. I think it's like embarrassment of riches sometimes, right? Where yeah. you just get so used to things being good, you just forget to bring them up. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, so I love this paragraph about how like the gender difference between uh, Moonsong and Tribute and like the 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 mere possibility of romance sort of screened off the possibility of a real friendship between them, which um, I, like it's a very small, you know, it's a, a almost throwaway paragraph of text. But I think it's, you know, it's a real it's a real thing that happens, especially between younger people. Right. It's, it's a real kind of tragic thing. Yeah, that's what I, I was going to say is I think it's one of those things that probably goes away with age eventually mm -hmm. like i can't remember what, how old moonsong is supposed to be but assuming she's about the same age as tristan and byron we can put her at like 17 or 18 right something around there I maybe a little bit older right. a little bit older that's still pretty young though um and i do think those kind of things fade with age like i don't happen to have any close female friends in my life right now besides my wife but at 34 i don't think 
it would be a huge deal. And I don't think there would be this like, ooh, could it be romantic impediment that would stop that from happening? But it does. It, it is it is a thing that uh, absolutely happens when you're younger. Um, and it's a good reminder that these kids are our kids. <laughs> we do. Yeah. We do lose track of that. Like even 18. Like, yes, you're an adult, but um, she's still very young and and like tasked with this the, all this responsibility and they're still figuring themselves out mm-hmm. and figuring out how to navigate relationships and friendships and all these different ships yeah right it, it's a it's a moment of like oh oh wow these are these are kids basically and then they're yeah. gonna like, have to fight the monster and yep. um yep. yeah I, I agree with that um so i'm going to talk about this particular paragraph from tribute so tribute says Moon, you don't have to pretend their weirdness or the fratricide thing are your hurdle to get over. It's not about you. It's about them. It's not crossing a line to say that. So once again, Wabo has lobbed me (laughs) a curveball that I'm not sure how to process. So let's set aside for a moment um, the thing that he says about Furcate, about, you know, Furcate and and their weirdness. Yeah, I think that's kind of obviously shitty. Um, yeah, I, that's not what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about th- this comment pertaining to Tristan because um, it seems like it's an accepted and very mainstream perspective to say that if somebody has done something really wrong, then it's not about you. It's about them. Um, and I think I would agree with it usually. Uh, but but the whole metaphor for the Titans just kind of shatters that logic because like, yeah, maybe it is about them. But if you don't take some responsibility for the people in your world, even if it's not fair, even if you shouldn't have to, even if it should be about them and not be your business at all, well, when they crack and they kill all your friends, won't you wish you had made it your business? Yeah, no, I love that. I, I, you're absolutely right. The, the concept of Titans is such a radical shift in how we handle these things. And and I think it makes us ask difficult questions like that, like 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 difficult questions like should I celebrate shortcut getting what's coming to him uh, or 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 should I like be like, oh, they should have tried something else. I, and, and like I think that's like I don't know the answer to those questions because you're right. I totally agree with this fact that Tristan almost killing his brother is not something you Moonsong should have to get over. It is not at all. But I I, I, I like I like what what Moonsong is saying here. And and we she goes into this a little bit later as, in the chapter as well. And I think we can just talk about it all right here. But this idea that she wants to be a leader, she wants to be a leader of people. Mm-hmm. And as part of being a leader of people is like accepting that there's shit about some people that you're not going to like or not going to have to or deal with. And hopefully murder is not typically one of those things. But like she's she's excited that these two people are back because it gives her another opportunity another opportunity to deal with shit she failed to deal with when she was younger and 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 tribute coming in and saying that's not your shit to deal with is like yeah i mean technically sure but i want to because i want to be a better person i want to be a better leader i don't want to be the person that dismissed fur kate for her weirdness i don't want to be the person that get that can't get over the hatred I have for someone. I don't want to be that person. And while I think he means well, and he's trying to comfort her, I just think he's wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's, what's so fascinating about this is, is what he says. Like I can totally imagine myself saying that to someone, like if they're, they're struggling with, with having someone in their personal life, having just 
done I've like really crossed some line and I'm like look it's it's not on you you don't have to like just just cut him out man just cut him out right mm-hmm. like this is this is not an uncommon type of advice to give when somebody has really crossed a line right and it's like well I mean yeah that is sort of that is the self-protective advice but sometimes maybe there's circumstances where I'm, I'm like working through this out loud as I say it because it's so it's so interesting right this idea yeah. that this idea that like you can you can just cut them off, but are you in some sense um, kind of washing your hands of something where if you had taken some responsibility, even if you didn't have to, even if it wasn't your obligation, if you had taken some responsibility, you could have made a material impact on this on the situation, um, kept that person from falling through the cracks in some sense. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, especially if you consider yourself a leader. I think the responsibility of leadership is an important has an important role to play in this whole thing because that's that's what Moonsong wants to be. And if you're going to be that, if you're going to say I'm going to lead these people, I need to be willing to get over my shit. Especially like like Tristan is so much more complicated and I, and I'm glad you focused on him, but the Moonsong stuff is like, yeah, just obviously she needs to get over her bigotry. Like that's obviously. Yeah. Like and and I mean, Tribute makes this point like she's weird outside of that other weird stuff, which is just like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> screw you, buddy. Yeah. But um, but even if that's true, even if she doesn't behave in, in a way, if she, even if she behaves in a way outside of anything else, if she behaves in a way that is just like grating to you, that's leadership. Sometimes <laughs> like you have to you have to lead people that you don't like. Sorry, I, I think that's. I think that's very true for someone in a leadership position because the the people who are below you in the chain of command depend on you. Yeah. And you are um you you are not, you know, carrying out your responsibility if you just decide, yeah, I don't like them, so I'm not going to bother yeah. with them, right? Yeah. Yeah. And also I kind of like this mentality that that you are you should sort of consider yourself to be leading everyone in your life in a certain sense, like not not in a um like like not in a like um domineering sense but just like you're you're sort of leading your boss at work to 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 help them make the right decision to manage you you're i mean i can i'm probably a leader to my kids in in a certain sense you you can be a leader just amongst your peers just trying to be a good example even like like not you don't not that you tell people what to do but you just try to lead by example in a a sense um, of being a good human being um I, i i so i'm just it's unusual to use the word leadership in that way, but I do like that particular lens. So in that sense, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I, what's interesting is like, I feel like this is one of those things where I read a wild bow story and I come away from it, like personally changed and I'm going to like live (laughs) my life differently, which has happened like five times, but I just don't know what exactly I'm going to do about it. You know? Yeah. Well, I I think it's easy to sit here in front of a microphone and talk about doing that. Talk about, um, just saying screw you people I don't like it's a whole lot harder to do it in real yeah. life like it's really hard sometimes especially when the people have hurt you in some of the worst ways possible um so yeah I mean I I, I don't I don't know if if I'm going to be able to keep but I, I I like I like the idea of it I like that idea yeah me too um all right so I love how this section ends though we're about to cut back but this section ends with they're having this conversation and then and then Tristan walks over and he tries to do like some kind of joking small talk with the two of them and they're just like super awkwardly quiet and they're not really engaging him and the section ends with him saying I'll leave you guys be 
sorry. And, and I think what Wild Bo is doing here is so brilliant because he's, he's manipulating us a little bit here because it turns out there is more to this conversation. We cut away from this, we go back, um, and then we come back to this, um, and, and it turns out that she ex- she says, no, 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 stay uh, right. But we cut away here before we get to see that. So we move into this next section thinking about this, thinking about Tristan attempting to reengage with his former teammates and being rebuffed. And so we have him asking for the uh, the juggling and being rebuffed. And then he we flash back in time and he's walking up here and he's rebuffed again. And and it's like to me. What the structure is doing is is recognizing that um, recognizing that we kind of maybe know what's coming here, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like like that that we we are starting to kind of get the the idea where this is going to end, and and it's cleverly setting up each beat in this chapter like to mentally and emotionally prepare for the inevitability that is the end. We see things like this, like okay, we get it. Like I get, I get, I, I'm starting to see where this is going. Um, I, I don't know. Like I think that to cut it off, to cut off the conversation here, and then only go back to it later after we've seen Tristan kill someone accidentally. Um, is is I think very purposeful to me. Yeah. Speaking of like the kind of withholding information and, and manipulation, doesn't Moonsong not explain to us that the reason why she refused to do the juggling thing was uh, was because her power had changed until after this point? Correct. Yeah. So yeah. so so basically, we we don't know why she refused. We found out later. We found out after we've been led to believe that there's this schism between them, that she had a perfectly good reason for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's very cool. Yeah. And of course we, um, we go, we go into it with Tristan's assumption probably, which yeah. is the assumption that, Hey, um, she just didn't want to. Yeah. And, Cause she didn't want to deal with him. Doesn't and, trust him. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's a perfect way to get us into Tristan's mindset. Um, Cause that's exactly what he believed. Yeah. Yeah. So then we switch back to the fighting. Scribe, Tristan, and Moonsong try to coordinate to pummel Scotty. Uh, eventually, they are forced to retreat up into the air, Moonsong <laughs> grabbing the team plus dozens of civilians and launching them up to an altitude where they can fully use their powers. Yeah, yeah. And, and what I, so again, what I, what I like about this is that we, we cut back now and she immediately does the juggling thing that Tristan had, had suggested before. Right. Yeah. Like she eventually actually does it, even though she's not perfect with it because of her power. And, and that makes sense. But so we have this moment where she refuses. We cut away. We cut back to a whole conversation where um, she admits to tribute that she feels like it's important to get over her shit, that she's glad that these two are the ones still here because they they offer her a second chance and opportunity to actually get over things. And then we cut back to this where she does it she isn't unsure of trusting herself she's unsure of trusting him and yet she decides that it's the good thing to do anyway um yeah and so we're kind of cutting back and forth between these like it's almost as if like in the middle of this beat in the present we cut back to this past moment where our characters are reminding themselves of something that they're that they were struggling with it's like oh he's fucking annoying me and then it's like go cut back okay Remember, we're trying to be better. We're trying to get over this. We're trying to we're trying to to reestablish trust and be the person that doesn't let be the type of leader that doesn't let this destroy team unity. 
Um, and then we cut back to them actually carrying out the thing. Yeah, this is kind of what I meant about parallel structure, that that basically each of the each of the big moments in the battle is sort of matched with one of the big moments in the conversation. Yeah. And, and in the sense that it's actually saying a, it, it's a parallel journey. It's a it's a journey from it's a journey from distrust and, and distance to offering a hand, offering a um, a chance, offering some trust. Um, and then, of course, tragically, it kind of backfires. Right. But but up until yeah. that point, it's it's. I mean, it's building in this very positive direction for Moonsong, at least. I don't think it necessarily is for Tristan. Um, well, yeah, I, I think that's the key of the story to me is that Tristan doesn't go Titan because Moonsong fails to accept her shit. Yeah. In fact, it's almost it's not almost the opposite opposite, but she succeeds and he fails regardless. Mm-hmm. Um which is an interesting thing, right? It's not like it's not Moonsong's fault that this happened. She was doing her best and actually was making her progress and gets to a place, but it's too late for him. And it's because he cannot accept things about himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we'll, we'll get there. We're jumping ahead. But yeah, yeah, I just um, I mean, just, just stepping back, stepping, you know, zooming up for a second. I think that I think that Wild Bo's probably known that Tristan was going to die for some time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a guess, but. I think it's probably, I mean, potentially foreshadowed quite a bit, actually. Yeah, I mean, I think we we had we had what we called a, such an obvious death flag that we were making fun of it like two arcs ago, almost. I think at the beginning of eighteen, possibly. Yeah. So, yeah, no. You, I, could, you, you could even read Rain cutting the goat in half as a as a bit of foreshadowing, even though that was also just <laughs> foreshadowing for the time Tristan got cut in half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, the point is, uh. He chose to tell this death from the point of view of Moonsong. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, he, there's many ways he could have set this up, right? But doing it from Moonsong's point of view actually makes this, it, it adds some of the sweet into the bittersweet, right? Because this isn't just a complete downer, horrible sadness chapter like it could have been. No. Um, there, there, There's this slight edge of like, well, at least someone is trying someone someone learned something moonsong was doing her best and this wasn't as bad as it could have been yeah well there i mean as much as like it's tragic and horrible and he like takes his own life like there is this mo- well we'll get to it let's let's not jump, yeah. let's not jump all the way to the end sure um, yeah i just wanted to, i just wanted to like note like it is it's an interesting choice in and of itself that we that Wild Bo chooses to tell the, the Tristan death scene from Moonsong's point of view. No, I agree. I agree. So they're forced to frantically scramble to remove civilians from Scotty's path as they're floating in the air. And uh, in in all of the shuffle and the kind of frantic use of powers, Tristan miscalculates setting up an attack uh, with his power and then switching to Byron, trusting the others to tell Byron to switch back rapidly. But Byron is slow on the uptake. He has brain damage and also he doesn't know what the hell's happening. Yeah. Um, and the ensuing blast of frost kills tribute. And I love this part right here where it says she saw the look in Byron's eyes haunted as he realized what he'd been supposed to do. Byron retreated, becoming Tristan again, the look not leaving his face until he was no longer Byron. Um, that's just like super powerful writing and imagery there. And I, and I really love it. And I love this whole scenario, right? Because like an arc 19 Tristan is going to immediately go 
to the worst possible like explanation of this. Right. And I know this because for, for half a second, I thought it too. The first time you're reading this, you're like, Jesus Christ, Tristan, look what you did. Like, look at, look at the position you put Byron in here. He, mm-hmm. he can't see what's going on anymore. And you switch to him and expect him to be fast enough on the uptake to, to avoid hurting anyone. Um, you fucked up man and that's not entirely fair of course it's not fair like it's not byron's fault it's not tristan's fault it's just like shit happens sometimes you know like like especially with the change in the powers to be less controlled and and more powerful like we learn this is specifically because of of changes in powers right we know it's changes in powers with tristan and byron um there's also this little bit here where scribe like with her loss of power isn't able to pull as 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 good as she is able to push um with her change in powers so she's not able to to pull the people out of the way as easily um so like this is a result of of sudden changes and it's just like shit shit sometimes happens and like yeah you're gonna feel awful about it of course you are but like you know exactly what his brain is gonna do to to this you know he's gonna take it and it's gonna just start spiraling and just like i'm worthless i'm I'm terrible like this is all my fault look what i look what i made byron do i made byron do this i killed the people i was trying to earn the trust of again um and uh, it's like it's brilliantly set up to be maximally terrible yeah um exactly right because like Sc- scotty's like right there like like yeah. they're they're desperate they're 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 s- s- scrambling and shouting orders at each other and none like none of them can even really do anything they still lose scotty still c- kills at least one cape yeah um others you know and 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 so him doing this in the situation for, for a second, you're like, ah, damn it. But you're also like, yeah, well, I mean, he, he didn't have the option of doing nothing from his point right. of view. And, and then, but, but, but simultaneously, just like you were saying, you totally understand him feeling horrible about this. And, and he, yeah, like if he didn't happen to go Titan right here and then die, I think he would have suffered just uh, incredible survivor's guilt and, yeah. and, and just general guilt about this. So, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, subsequently Scotty kills Riveting and one of the Furcate clones, uh, and then we see Tristan lost and bewildered to match his lowest moment. Yeah, and if we didn't know at this point what was going to happen, uh, at this point we were like, oh, Tristan and or Byron are fucked. I, mm. I know it, it. This is it. Um, and I think everyone reading by this point probably knew that too, right? I think that's probably fair. Yeah, um, I mean... Maybe it, with a little tinge of hope that they'll find a way to get out of it, but... Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I, I think I think my only hope was like, well, maybe he maybe this is the moment that allows him to reach his acceptance of, of being like. See, it doesn't work, so it doesn't. I mean, like yeah. it just it would be it would be very out of character in that moment if he was like, OK, I can accept this. Like, right. it just, I've, it's, yeah, I've, su- I've suddenly realized that I'm fine. After yeah. yeah, no, it's horrible. It's a horrible, horrible moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we skip. I mean, and and like you pointed out, is it is really interesting where Wild Bo chooses to make these cuts, right? Because yep. he's just killed Tribute, mm-hmm. and then after that moment, we cut back to Tristan working himself up to offering just like the ser- the most sincere apology that he can to Moonsong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we cut from. Tristan making this huge mistake immediately to him attempting to apologize for the last mistake he made. 
Um, and, and it's in this conversation that I think Wild Bo draws the exact reason for why that mistake is going to doom him. So we have the mistake. We know that mistake is in, in is going to happen. And then we cut back in time to a moment where he basically says the phrase uh, super like being a cape is all I have. That's the only thing I'm good at. That's the only thing I'm worth anymore. That's all I got. And we know when we're reading that spot that we have in the back of our mind. Oh, you just fucked that part up, though. That's mm. the only thing you're good at. And that's what just happened. You're fucked, buddy. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's exactly. And I think it's it's almost structured to emphasize that to like there, we We could have had this chapter in normal order and we would have seen um, we would have seen the moment of his apology and it would have felt really, really good. And and we would have been like, oh, this guy's going to do it. He's going to do it. We got it. And then it would be the devastation of, of realizing it's not going to happen. But reversing those two things makes the apology just just like I think Tristan's death is horrifying. And I cried. But this part right here, knowing it was coming, made like hit so much harder. This mm-hmm. apology. Yeah, and, and it takes its time with the apology, too. It's it this whole conversation. It's not just the apology. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I think to go with what you were saying about him, like, being a cape is all he has. Like, that's just because he can't get to this place of acceptance of the way things are. And, and, and we, I mean, we get, let's, we, we, that, that kind of brings us perfectly to this next point. I think this is, like, exactly, this is what I wanted to talk about anyway, and it just so happens to, I don't think coincidentally be the next thing that happens in the book where he's, he's talking to Furcate mm-hmm. and he's, he's saying like, you know, I, I, I thought you would have stopped trying after you, after you were a 10, 10, 10 and you were perfect. And Furcate says, I'm not perfect when I'm 10, 10, 10 Capricorn. I wouldn't ever leave the journey behind. It's part of who I am. And then Tristan replies, I don't get it. I guess I like my personal demons slain and done with, as much as that's not possible sometimes. I thought maybe it was possible for you and you wouldn't have that unhappiness poisoning you, I guess. So, like, this is ex- this is what I wanted to talk about. It, yep. it seems like Tristan has this sort of unrealistic expectation of how recovery is supposed to work. He mm-hmm. he wants, and I think maybe he thinks he needs, for this to just be over. He, he's going to make his restitution. He's going to be such a goddamn good cape that he's just going to save everyone and and earn their forgiveness and it's gonna be over it's gonna be over and it won't ever be over and he can't accept that and that's that's the that's the fundamental problem yep that is not acceptance right that's Mm -hmm. the the word of the hour right he can't accept that he can't accept that you don't ever slay your demons you just learn how to keep them at bay and and i love this idea of permanent solution right because i think that echoes victoria a little bit here victoria always wanted permanent solutions that's the frustration and i think it's fitting that this moment this conversation is happening around sveta talking to Furcate about how kind of upset she is about how her body is kind of falling apart a little bit Mm -hmm. and and sveta's body was one of the things that victoria was like this has to have a permanent solution like this anything in my life i have to be able to fix something and so here it is i'm gonna fix it and we're seeing now that like that obviously wasn't a fix. We said that when it happened. Um, but even even Furcate, who arguably with a 10, 10, 10 got the body and the person that she always wanted to be, um, that was not a permanent solution either. Like, that's just not the way it works. Just not the way it works. And and I, I, I think you're absolutely right that if we want if we want a reason for why this happened to Tristan, it's right here. It's mm-hmm. right here. 
I thought maybe it was possible for you and you wouldn't have that unhappiness poisoning you. He can't see a place in which you just live with your shit and accept your shit without it poisoning you. Mm-hmm. He can't. Yeah. I, I again, perfectly set up for this, this sort of like logical through line. There's a logical, the logical through line is, is linear, even though the chapter is extremely nonlinear. Yeah. And that's, that's what's awesome. Um, so just for a second, do you want to talk about riveting, trying to get scribe to kind of have her own moment of, uh, of, uh, soul searching and catharsis. And then, and then Moonsong is like, she doesn't have to talk about it if she doesn't want to, yeah. but then Moonsong feels conflicted about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. Like, I think she's trying to be a good leader here, recognizing that there are times to push people on these things and times not to push people on these things. The part of it that I find the most interesting is that she, after this whole movement where she, she defends scribe and says she doesn't have to talk about it. She doesn't want to, she walks away to take a call. Then Tristan approaches her and she makes the assumption that he's here to get on her back about defending a Nazi. That's what she says to him here to defend a Nazi. Because like, like, I think you can see in someone's head why they would think that right this is this is moonsong who had some pretty terrible bigoted opinions earlier in her life um and now you see her defend the former nazi and i think it's fair um maybe not fair but it's understandable to make a connection is like oh she's just defending the person who thinks about things like she does um but that is not why tristan is here Tristan is not here to write at her for that. He's here to apologize. And, and so she's wrong in that moment about him. And, and this, there's this kind of through line in this chapter, uh, like regarding this miscommunication between the two of them, that she assumes that he's thinking the worst about her and, she, and, he, and vice versa. Right. Like, and we see that specifically in the end as Tristan is tightening, where he takes something that, that Moonsong said that is like this wonderful powerful development of hers and he twists it to be specifically about how terrible he is yeah oh man you know what's what's funny is i don't know if i fully recognized that for what it was when i first read it um but yeah that's that's so so we'll we'll talk about that so sure um tristan's apology though is just so beautifully bittersweet because he's trying to make amends but he doesn't know if he ever can and she's trying to forgive him and she doesn't think that she ever can yeah, it's hard, man. Like, it's real hard. <laughs> like, I don't fault either of these people in this moment. Like, I don't fault her for saying, like, in a world where this man didn't exist, she'd have been so much happier. Yeah, that's understandable. I get that. And the tragedy of it, as Tristan is is dying in a bit and saying is like, oh, you're going to get your wish on some level. Tristan dying is indeed exactly what she wants. Like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. only only partially. Right. That's that's only part of her feels that way. And that's not the totality of her. People right. are complicated. Well, I mean, for all that, this is a sad chapter. Think about how triumphant it is that we took this character from Tristan. Sometimes I wonder if I should have gone farther and killed you. Yeah. Yeah. To I forgive you. You know? Yeah. 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 That That's how we introduce this character. So it's it, it, if anything, that's just further evidence that this was planned from the beginning because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like, I mean, the, the broad strokes probably have been planned since that I went back and read uh glowworm th- this chapter. I don't mm-hmm. know if you did. Um, it was really tough. <laughs> it's really hard. I don't know why I did that to myself, but I went back and read the first interaction between these two characters. I think it was a great to compare 
to how they interact now because it's so different. Like there's like it, Tristan is such a different person. You mm. go back and read Glowworm, and he's like he's arrogant. Um, he's like and he's mad. He's mad at Moonsong, and we get why. But it, it's just like he comes off as so different. It's it's re- actually remarkable. Yeah, it's like he has sort of a chip on his shoulder or something. Yeah, um, yeah. I, and and yeah. like at the time we were like, okay, this is a guy. And like reading it now, reading those chapters, knowing what he did to his brother, I, I'm I was kind of like, where the fuck do you get off? <laughs> like 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 it's really surprising. And I think that also to me shows the journey of Tristan throughout this story. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I didn't go back and read him for this chapter, but I've read it fairly recently. So yeah, I, I love this apology though, Matt. I, and I think Wildbo's playing with us here a bit. He has he has a moon song kind of ponder all the thousands of things they can talk about, but uh, but she settles on just saying after after this is done, we'll talk about these things. And and I think we know on some level that there's not going to be an after. Uh, and yet <laughs> yet we read these we read these moments and we're like, oh, why are you doing this? Yeah. Um, and then there's this moment right here where he says part of apologizing is taking actions to make it up to someone right now. I'm not sure what I'm good for except Cape stuff. So please use me. And this is the line that cuts extra deep because it's a flashback Mm -hmm. because this is where he's saying all I'm good for is Cape stuff. That's all I have. That's all I'm good for. That's all anyone could want me for. And we know that he fucked it up. We know that he made a mistake and he got someone killed. Um, and whether it's his fault or not, it doesn't matter because that's what he thinks. I fucked up all. I, I was good for one thing and I ruined that thing. And now I have nothing. I have no one. And now it's time to tighten. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's exactly right because I mean, there's a certain, you could almost make an argument that like the drama would be amplified if we saw this apology prior to the killing, um, figurehead scene. No, not figurehead. What's his name? Tribute. Tribute. Yeah. Um, and, but, but, but I think that the, and, and it's not that this isn't dramatic. It's just that this way, the, th- the kind of the logical emotional through line, I think is, is a little cleaner. Yeah. I think it's so. connecting the lot. It's connecting the beats in a different kind of way. Yeah. It's, it's drawing connections between moments in a different way than, um, than telling it chronologically would. And it's emphasizing those moments by connecting them in certain ways. It's emphasizing those moments. I agree. Um, and I think it makes it more tragic. I think it makes it hit you harder. I think it makes you realize things earlier than you would have. And that just makes it all the more painful as you read. Um, I don't know. I just like everything about the way this is structured makes it a better chapter. This is one of my favorite chapters in this book. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So back in the present, the survivors settle to the ground and then the cracking begins. Uh, Tristan reels blaming himself for tributes death thinking that he really is a demon and he doesn't deserve to live as the cracks race toward him. He does listen to Sveta and he holds off the cracks temporarily using his power. Sveta and Moonsong then try to offer him connection and Moonsong offers him forgiveness, but it's not enough. And then finally Tristan relaxes and finds a moment of centeredness um, and then he shifts his constellations to blast himself with his own power, killing him and leaving Byron behind. Oh boy. Um... I was I was a mess. I was a mm-hmm. mess, Matt. I was a mess during and and like this sec like we've 
everything has led up to this. We know this is coming. We've seen the flashbacks. We know why it's going to happen. Everything's been established. And so all that there is left is for it to play out. And I love how we start this section and it's like Wild Bo writes the cracking in the background. It's separated into its own line and then like it happens three times, the cracking gets louder and louder until we see it and then it turns right towards Tristan and we're like, here we go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this this sense of inevitability here. And I, like, I just think the writing is so, so powerful here. Like, I didn't call you a demon. You implied. You said you wanted your demons dead and behind you and fuck, you might actually get that. Fuck. And like, he's wrong. Like, mm-hmm. and, and it's not... Again, you're absolutely right that the choice to tell this from Moonsong's perspective is so important because if we were in Tristan's head during this, we would maybe believe him, but we're in her head and we know Tristan is wrong. We know that what Moonsong was talking about that was her own shit, her bitchiness, her, her tendency to judge people, her shit that she's working through. That's what she meant. We know that. And he doesn't, and he he won't see it. He can't see it. He can't accept that. He, right. Uh, uh, uh. It's almost the 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 cause for the miscommunication between them is because he doesn't understand. He doesn't see things the way she has been trying to see them. Where when she says the demons that I'm talking about is the way I used to be and yeah. the way I maybe still am a little bit, and and part of her her struggle is. Um, Work, working on herself while, you know, continually working on herself while accepting that this is a process. Yeah. yeah. Not condemning herself. Right. Because this is I mean, it's, it's I think it's really interesting because the word bigot has been thrown at Moonsong countless sure. times and it uh, applied perfectly well <laughs> at the start of the story. Yeah. Um, I think the thing is, what is the transition from bigot to ex-bigot, right? It is a process. It yeah. is trying to stop being a bigot, fighting against ingrained patterns. And I think I honestly think the only way that happens, the only the only way that works is if the person doing that accepts that it's a process and accepts that it's going to take time and that they're not going to just, you know, flip a switch and they're going to not be yeah. that way anymore. Yeah. They're not going to instantly change a lifetime of ingrained patterns of thought and, um, yeah, I mean, I honestly, I think it's a simplistic view of things to say, like, she was a bigot and now she's suddenly not a bigot. Like it, it, it's the, the acceptance of the struggle of the process is, is, is what she's referring to when she talks about demons. Yeah. And when Tristan talks about demons, he talks about this horrible, horrible guilt that he carries that he just wants to be able to let go of and can't let himself and he can't accept that he can't let himself and he can't accept the guilt. And it's it's poisoning him. Like he says, you know, he's talking about himself when he says poisoning, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. But we do get this moment here at the end. We get this moment where she says, if you want forgiveness for what you put me and reach through, you've got it. If you want forgiveness for tribute, you don't need it. You're not responsible. That was a bad situation. I forgive you. And then we see in this moment, Tristan relaxes. Um he relaxes. And then the next thing we see is she, she points out that he looked more confident, um, more stood a little bit taller than he had the entire day. Um, so he I think I think at the end, at the very end, he he like acknowledges her apology as genuine. I think he does. And that allows him to prevent himself from going Titan. And I don't want to say like, oh, he killed himself. And that's a good thing, because like that's 
killing yourself is not a good thing, obviously. Um, but he does in the end prevent himself from becoming this thing. Um, and theoretically preventing Byron from, I mean, we have no idea what would have happened to Byron if he had tightened. Right. Yeah. Um, so he saves his brother. He potentially saves all the people around him by making this sacrifice. I guess we can call it. Um, it's still tragic. I don't want to be like, Oh look, trust in the hero. He did it. It's still tragic. But I do think there's this moment here at the end where he, he accepts that forgiveness maybe it's just a little bit too late at that point. Yeah, this is, I just kind of thought of this, but I think it's almost like Byron forgave him a long time ago. Yeah. And here Moonsong forgives him basically on behalf of Reach. Yes. Um, And I think there's one person who has not forgiven him and who cannot forgive him, and that is Tristan. Yeah. And yeah. that that is why he can't get out of this situation, right? Like that's fundamentally why this happened because even if everybody around him forgave him, even if his mom forgave him and, and even if tribute had forgiven him in the moment before his death, I don't think that would have been enough because I think ultimately it's, it's Tristan's own self acceptance and self forgiveness that he can't get to. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, that is, that is, that is it at the end. Um, and it's almost as if the message here is like, you've got, you've got to do that yourself, right? Like no one can save you from that. It has to come from within you. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's so, that's so powerful. Like he got what he needed from Byron or Byron extended this thing to him, this kindness, this forgiveness, Moonsong there at the end did it. But unless you can do it to yourself, you're doomed. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and that's the end of our character. Yeah. It's very sad. It's, a fantastic chapter. Um, and then we move on into 19 dot next chapter, which 19 I didn't, dot next chapter. didn't label on the it's script for some reason. Seven. It's seven. seven. Yeah. Uh, and the chapter opens with Kinsey laughed and the laugh echoed across a vast dark plane, <laughs> which is just some great tone setting. It is. It is. Uh, we don't even know where we're at time wise, right? Like, mm-hmm. Tristan has just died. We learn a little bit later that we've jumped back in time a bit here, but we don't know. So it's easy to read this as kind of an inappropriate laugh, just like it's an inappropriate smile. It's like haunting and and could have more meaning than it does. Um, And there's also this like. There's this through line throughout this entire chapter where I'm kind of like, Kenzie didn't have an eye on Tristan. Like, that's not something she would know immediately. That's surprising. So maybe she does and she's just hiding it i don't think so i think she's just so distracted by what's going on here that she might have just missed it but there is a read that says that she, that she knows it the whole time right man i wish i had had that thought in my head when i was reading because i feel like there would be hints if that were the case i, mm-hmm. I that didn't occur to me i read um, it with that in mind and i didn't like nothing like super big jumped out at me so okay yeah, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna assume not, sure. and, unless we learn otherwise. But the other thing this opening does, and and the early parts of this chapter do in general, is make it clear to me that the shift is coming to Kenzie now. Like mm-hmm. we we predicted last week that that we saw kind of a pattern here where we're going to be viewing a member of Breakthrough through the point of view of someone else. Um, we have knocked out Sveta. Kind of. I still don't know how I feel about the Sveta one because. I mean, yes, Egg 
relates to Sveta closely, but that chapter is more about Egg than it is Sveta. But anyway, we have Gilpatrick with Rain. We have Moonsong with Tristan. Um, and so, Sve- so Kenzie seems like a good next one. Um, yeah. And I think this, the op- I think the, the, the early part of this chapter and indeed this chapter as a whole kind of validates that, that theory a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. We definitely get a, a ton of Kenzie beats in here. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's only really, well, like the main people who are here are Victoria, Rain, and Kenzie, and Rain is is more in the background. So, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So uh, in this chapter, Rain, Victoria, and Hollow Kenzie make their way through the crystal landscape, and they call Tattledale for help. Then find the crystalline hub of Fortuna's power and begin to communicate with her. The chapter ends with the rest of Breakthrough joining them and informing them of Tristan's death. Um, so I just did that recap, which is an unusual thing I don't usually do up front, uh, mm-hmm. just to emphasize that this is not a very plotty chapter. This is more about relationships, character, setting details, explication, and kind of tone and feeling. And I think like we were talking about at the start of the episode, a lot of that I think might just be uh, a bit of a break after uh, Tristan's death. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I, and I'm glad you kind of, kind of explained it that way. I do think that this is this is a take a breath chapter. Um, a lot of what we see here is exposition. We kind of explore some terms and concepts um, and get to understand the shard realm a little bit more. Um, and it's almost as if we're like preparing for the next big movement of the story, uh, mm-hmm. because we what happens is our characters get to Contessa. They get to Contessa Fortuna rather. They don't do anything there. Not yet, at least. Um, so it's really just exposition and character breath moment before we move into into some other hopefully not as depressing stuff, but probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. So Victoria thinks her way through the crystal landscape, trying to track the filing system of the entities. They travel from rage to anger to peevishness, which apparently includes eggs. Yeah, not just eggs, Matt, but also those jean shorts where the pocket part hangs down below the short line. Mm -hmm. I hate those two, Victoria. This is why we're best friends. (laughs) Best protagonist. (laughs) I, I like there is this bit here we see we don't see much of her force field at all in this section for this reason. Uh, I could feel the force field moving despite my wishes, reaching out, heads moving, mouths opening. The periodic arm was swung hard enough to audibly cut through the air. Um, so we get this this uh, reformation that force field still not in her control. Yeah, I mean, it's worse than we thought. Like, I, I, I thought when she was around Chris, like maybe it, it was just slightly out of control, but it seems like it's just going wild. So that sucks. Mm hmm. So I think it's um, an interesting little touch that the crystals are showing Kenzie's memories, even though that she's not actually here. Yeah, uh, but it's not just Kenzie, Matt. We also see that we're seeing heartbroken memories. So presumably her heartbroken friends, the chicken tenders, are sitting around her watching the screens um, and the shards are picking up on them, too. And Would, yeah, v- Victoria says the implications of that are unnerving. And I I think this is doing something important and we'll get to that in a little bit, but that seems relevant to me. Yeah. Let's, let's hold off. Cause I, I have a lot to say about this too. Sure. So another small writing touch, um, 
is that like close, pretty close to the start of this chapter, Wildbow lets us know that as far as they're aware, Tristan and Sveta are still taking a break, waiting for the portals to open. Mm -hmm. So that places us in terms of the relative timing. And and that kind of lets us set aside this question of is Tristan dead? Are they going to find out that he's dead? And, And we can just mentally set that down. So we're not just constantly preoccupied with that thought as we're reading. Yeah, I agree. That's kind of what I meant about the chapter, letting you breathe a little bit. Yeah. There, there, there is a stress here. There is a tension here about like, we know they are going to eventually find out that Tristan is dead. We know that moment is coming, um, but we are, it, it allows us to not be thinking about that the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Paddletail shows up in spirit and is very peevish, but also um, like the fact that she's here is yet another indication that her and Vicky are BFFs. Yeah, and she plays it off in classic Tattletale fashion that she's doing Vicky a favor and she should feel appreciative. But she also says, I need to be sleeping right now and 10 people want my attention and I'm prioritizing you, which is, aw. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, friend. Yeah. She's You're such best friends now. She goes out of her way to make sure Victoria doesn't think that this is like friendship or anything. But yeah. Totally yeah, is. But it yeah. is. Um, and then she also gives her like after she helps her out a little, bit, a little bit later in the chapter, she gives her permission to wake her up if they need more questions. <gasps> I know. Nobody gets to wake up Lisa. I know. for Vicky. It's so special. So special. Totally huge. I do. I do want to talk about something else with with you here, Matt, because okay. there's this part. So I'm, I have to read all this part because it's important. OK. I could see the array of images around Kenzie's shift taking on a different cast. I was put in mind of a crescent moon. The crescent part was its blinking lights, indicators, slices of light cutting through darkness, and sun peeking through blinds. Very bright. There were square images, maybe screens, showing dramatic changes. Contained within the crescent and bleeding out into the surrounding area was a storm. Closing doors, people in a crowd, thrown plates, faces turning, hand movements, cars, signs, store displays, papers moving in the wind from a window. Five or ten images in the time that a crescent showed one, sometimes hard to make out because of the fuzziness and vague edges of it. Were we still in the data storage for obnoxious things, respective to each of us? Who are you talking to? I asked Kenzie. I blinked to bring up an image at my right eye, flickering through to Kenzie's perspective. But it wasn't showing me much. A bird, sitting in front of a keyboard. And the camera's point of view on a screen. Matt, is the crystal is the crystal picking up what birds find obnoxious? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly did not catch that, and then as soon as you pointed out, I just burst out laughing because the 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 shards are definitely definitely storing what birds find obnoxious. Closing doors, people in a crowd, thrown plates, faces turning, hand movements, cars, signs, store displays, paper moving. Yeah. Like, like this is just like if you were to have a movie from the perspective of a bird and you were going to do the little montage that makes the bird startled. That's what it would be. It would just be uh-huh. that sequence of images. So, OK, that's interesting, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> so the thing the thing I wanted to talk about was just the fact that it seems like really interesting and, and full of implications that all you have to do basically is send a camera down into this shard dimension and the shards surrounding the camera will start reacting to the emotions of whoever is looking at the camera feed. Mm -hmm. Like, like there's a, like this is a, we've constantly been concerned about connections and data being transferred between these shards and their, their connections being broken. Here we see 
non-trivial amounts of what you might call data being transferred or activated just by the presence of a, of a physical ca- camera. I mean, it's a tinker camera, but it's just a camera fundamentally. Right. Right. Um, and I, yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a few things on this, right? Because there's some wrinkles in this that, that we have to at least consider. We don't know if Kenzie is all hooked up with syndicate and her team, right? Presumably they are because they are, like constantly, right? <laughs> right? Like they, I, I feel like they are just, con- so like maybe it has to do with that, right? Maybe it has to do that. These people are connected to Kenzie. Um, Kenzie is looking through the camera, but even still the, the fact that Kenzie is it's, it's pinging off Kenzie is still important. And then, I mean, I guess you could say that the bird is connected to Chris through his use of power on the bird. And if Chris is connected, not Chris, am I saying Chris? Aiden. Yeah. Aiden. Thank you. I don't know why. Chicken Little starts with a C. Same thing. If the bird is connected to Chicken Little, Chicken Little is connected to Syndicate, who's connected to Kenzie. Maybe that's how that's going. But still. It. It's weird. It's weird. And Victoria is the one who points it out. I mean, noticing like, why is it reacting to Kenzie's presence when she's not actually here? Yeah. And yeah, I think, I mean, (sighs) Uh, maybe we're doing that thing where we go down a rabbit hole, but it feels like it's pointing at the possibility of there being something, something to this, some possibility here. Yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 I'm inclined to agree with you because like we're looking for solutions, right? We're looking for solutions to this problem. And what we're finding here is potentially a way of connecting outside of like the idea of, um, the shard crystal itself right because this yeah. is like re- this is like remote connection almost um yeah via cameras yeah I, I i mean i i don't have i don't have a lot more to add other than yes like it's, it seems like there are interesting possibilities if you're if you just consider it um in terms of solutions to the problem i mean it's very possible i'm reading this wrong and the five to ten images flashing by are not supposed to be things from the bird but it it seems like it once i got that in my head reading over it it seems to be all things that would annoy a bird i, th- I think like the only thing i don't know why a sign would annoy a bird but everything or, or a store display but everything uh, else seems like it like would be irritating blink. i mean maybe it's like a combination of kenzie stuff and bird stuff because it's like within the crescent or whatever well, I mean, maybe. I mean, I, I absolutely all closing doors, crowd of people, thrown, th- thrown anything, yeah. faces turning, hand movements, it's just papers moving in move. the wind. I, when I hear signs, maybe it's like flashing signs. Oh yeah, I don't maybe. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, store displays can be flashy, and and oh, store displays. You, f- you fly into a window because it's made of glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I get it. I get it. So I don't know. I, 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 I feel right. like I feel like the book it's drawing our attention to this in a way that makes me think there's more to it just than, Oh, well, isn't it funny that there's like, it's things that a bird, because like if it was just supposed to be LOL, it's things that a bird is annoyed by. I feel like the book would have said that it would have had like Victoria go, huh? That's a yeah. bird. No, but instead does. it just, it just points out that a bird is there and then we kind of move on. Victoria doesn't get it. Yeah. Because yeah, she doesn't point it out. Uh, all right. The uh, talking about the birds timer has gone off. So we're going to move oh. on. Are you sure? Because like, what about those birds? Though? <laughs> I, I know that everybody's been waiting uh, since yesterday to hear your grand unified bird theory. 
it's because I intentionally built it up to be more than it was, where it's just like it's just me saying, what about those birds, though? (laughs) Oh, I mean, we'll find out what what about those birds? Yeah, that's. That's, I can't wait. I can't wait till Wild Bow swoops in and is just like, nah, you just read that a hundred percent wrong. Yeah. Or swoops in and is like the next Wild Bow serial bird. Bird. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, as we move on into this chapter, there's a lot of like horribly awkward humor. Uh, like Imp is being very boundary crossing in that way that she does, especially when she's on edge. And, you know, everybody's talking about how they basically saw Vicky getting down with Annalise via the drone camera. Mm-hmm. And Victoria's not amused at all. And it's just like very uncomfortable. And it especially becomes uncomfortable when uh, Imp sort, sort of accidentally makes this connection between submission, the concept of submission and Kenzie's relationship with Swansong. Yeah. And then it becomes more like the, the humor is at how mortified Imp is. Uh, and how badly she puts her foot in her mouth. It's, 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 but like everyone is so uncomfortable that like, it's it's like a squirming humor, you know? It's really interesting. It really is. And I mean, I think a lot of it's very funny and I enjoyed it and I'm glad Imp is here to make me laugh after the depression of the Tristan chapter. But I do agree with you that like, this is Imp as she's really stressed out and this is what she does. Um, But we also see that Kenzie gets like super defensive when she thinks Imp is making fun of her relationship with Ashley, like super defensive. Right. Yeah. And this makes me think that we're going to get our Kenzie related interlude next. And I'm starting to wonder if Imp isn't going to be the point of view character on that one. That would be interesting. We're kind of drawing this, this, this little misunderstanding conflict between the two of them. Um, and we haven't had an Imp interlude in this book yet. So that could be interesting. Yeah, um, there's definitely some stuff we could resolve with Imp. I mean, we she is on some level aware that there is a Brian Flock member out there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I really would love to see something happen with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you might be right, yeah. 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 Uh, so Wildbo then confirms my frantic name game work and says that Eden <laughs> has also been called Gaia by some. So there we go. Yeah. I was right about everything. Is that the first time that Eden has been textually confirmed? Because wasn't that just a fan name for a while? I feel like it was. Am I making I, that up? Um, I don't remember. Wow. Um, wow. I mean, I think her textual name was Fuckster, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure I, that's what I, it I was. I think that you might be right. I think that her. Uh, I think that her. I think that might be a fan name. Man. I've been in this community too long, but we've never heard Gaia until yeah, Gaia Matt Freeman new. introduced until, it last week. Until Matt Freeman brought it to the table and the story warped around your words. It did. Um, but, you know, Imp did miss out on an opportunity to make a joke about Scion being uh, Uranus. So. Yeah, that's true. And she doesn't bring up Fuckster either, which, like, she's not on her game. I, well, this, I think that she's chastened. Um, by having offended Kenzie. In fact, I I actually looked for evidence that she used her power somewhere in here to get everyone to stop paying attention to her because she was embarrassed. Uh, I couldn't find any explicitly, um, but they do, they do kind of stop talking to her for a minute in here. So that would be a very, uh, a very imp thing to do. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So Tattletail gives us a nice solid info dump about the structure and the nature of the shard landscape. Yeah. And I don't have too much to say about it, except like I appreciated it because it, it, helps clarify the shard space it helps me see it 
quote unquote, a little bit better. Um, the more information on it, the more I understand it and the more I can kind of understand the navigation that they're doing there. So I think it's, it's helpful information that our, uh, our exposition fairy tattletale gives us. I mm-hmm. liked it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like, you know, I feel like we may be moving into a part of the story where understanding how this works very specifically will be important. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Victoria then invites Saddletail to join the Brockton Bay meetup later, uh, to which Amp replies, don't jinx it, uh, which you could consider like a kind of textual counter jinx, except that Alec attempts to employ exactly the same fourth wall breaking gambit in the very same chapter that he fucking dies. So I don't think that's going to work for you there, Aisha. I'm done doubting your death predictions anymore since it blew up in my face this week. So, yeah, totally. Um, but outside of death flags and jinxes and counter jinxes and all that stuff, think of the significance of that conversation. This is a Victoria that a few chapters ago called the situation hopeless talking to tattletale, the one that originally told her just how hopeless the situation was that, that this is going to get worse. It's just going to keep happening and happening and happening. This is the way we live now. These are two characters making plans for tomorrow. And even if it's just for show, even if it's just to make everyone around them feel better or to make themselves feel better, and they're not really talking seriously, neither of them really believes that this is ever going to happen. Even if that's true, there's a little tinge of hope in there, right? Just a little bit. Victoria is going to buy a drink for Lisa because when this is over, there's going to be a world. And in that world, there's going to be a bar. And in that bar, there's going to be a drink. And she's going to give it to her friend and just just a little, just a little tiny bit of hope leaking through some of our characters here. These hope, these characters that believe the situation is hopeless. And I don't know, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's me wanting to desperately grab and hold on to that as hard as I can. But I do see it there. I do see it in this interaction. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think that's the purpose of this, right? Like, like why, why else, why else uh, have Victoria be the one who, who brings this up, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it is it is almost shockingly optimistic <laughs> coming from Victoria <laughs> yes, in, yes. in this in this moment. Yeah, um, yeah. So as we we get back to Rain and Rain tells Vicky that her aura uh, is now attraction, basically, which is a big big fuck you. Um, I think it's interesting that all the various forms of the aura have always been something that resulted in making people reluctant to attack. Yeah, definitely. It always, it always brings attention, but never in the, I want to kill you kind of attention. Yeah. Uh, unless you use it on like monster bees. Well, maybe they were trying to pollinate her. <laughs> yeah. So that the bees just, just fly over and be like, Oh, check out this good looking lady. Let's see what's up. Maybe. And then they give her a, how you doing? And then she just fucking rips them in half. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, according to their, like probable reproductive cycle was probably exactly what they were going for. (laughs) But let this be a lesson to you kids. If you go flirt with a person who is clearly giving the don't flirt with me vibe, you will get ripped in half and stabbed with your own stinger and you will deserve (laughs) it. That's how the world works. It's true. He's right. Um, So, so obviously the attraction element is like, it's the exact kind of fuck you from, from shards that you would expect. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, do, do you, I mean, is there any kind of, is there any kind of like reason you can think of why this would have happened in this particular way besides 
shards are giant assholes? No. Um, I mean, less control, more powerful. Like, like, I mean, we did see that we have had these, like, I guess two beats. I'm not actually sure of times when she used it. And then she kind of like very narrowly evaded death immediately afterward. Mm-hmm. Um, so potentially it's, it, it's, um, it's just stronger. Like, like that's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm sort of grasping at straws and I, I mean, I've always felt like it was going to matter. Like it's, it's more than just like, Oh yeah, now her aura does this. And we're never going to talk about that again. No, I, I think I think we are going to talk about that again. I think it's going to matter. So I agree. Um, with you. I just don't know h- how exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly horrible. Um, and and look, the moment that she works up the courage to ask Rain, though, this is really interesting. I wanted to ask, and I didn't want to ask. The scholar strangled the monster, one fighting the other. You need to know, Victoria. So she's going back to her old like descriptions of the facets of her personality, right? But I don't know, and and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, anyone, but I don't know if she's ever specifically listed the monster as one of her facets before. I mean, I know we've, like, talked about the use of the word monster a lot in this book, and she's definitely, like, referred to herself and and parts of her as monstrous, but I don't think she's ever, like, labeled one of the facets of Victoria as monster. Yeah, I don't recall her ever using that to describe a facet of herself before and and honestly i don't even know exactly what she means by that here like Mm -hmm. like the monster doesn't want to ask the monster doesn't want to know what its dangerous capabilities are like what what part of her is that i I mean Mm -hmm. uh, i mean because that's just the part of her that that doesn't want to um face the possibility that she's fucked up or something I don't know. I, it, it, it is interesting. Like I seeing this now, I kind of expect that we're going to see it again, you know? Yeah, I do. Too. Um, I do too. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- there was also like an interesting twist twist in terms of how she refers to, uh, she doesn't just say fragile one. Now she says like fragile something. I didn't Does pull she? the quote. Oh, yeah, let me let me y- you talk for a second. All right. Here I am vamping while Matt does some things. Vampy, vampy, vamp, vamp, vampires. I'm not good at this, Matt. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, 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 I kind of do want to, I kind of do want to inspect it. Like, I, I agree with you. The first time I read it, the scholar strangled the monster. Um, I, 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 that did stick out to me, not just because of the word monster, but the idea that like this internal battle within her desire to know and not know is, is described super violently. It's not just the scholar. And the monster, like the worst parts of me and the, the the terrible side of me and the inquisitive side of me are battling for control over myself. It is one is strangling the other. Yeah. So, it, by the way, she she refers to it at one point, my fragile, wretched companion, oh. which has that word wretch in it yeah. that she is retired and now apparently brought back. I wonder if that is to correspond with the fact that she's losing control of it. She, I think it, it yeah. is not it is not hers. It's not a friend anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think it, that's exactly what it is. I think that's exactly what it is because it's it's it, it was her friend when it was cooperating with her. And now she's losing that control. And I mean, I, I love that it doesn't say wretch. It says you know wretched, which is clearly a, an allusion to that, though. So yeah, 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 yeah. That's really that's really cool. Yeah, cool. Um, so 
they continue on. Uh, they find a black crystal node and they see insights into Contessa's thoughts uh, as she seems to react to what they're saying with relevant images. One of the primary senses that we get, I think, is that Contessa is just full of doubt. Yeah, I, I love that the, this crystal landscape is black. I, like, I don't understand the specifics of why, like how that works. Why is it black? But I don't know why the other crystal is red either. So here it just serves as like a symbol that whatever Contessa is doing here, whatever she's constructing here, it's different. Yeah, because it's a different color. Yeah, and I think it just spookier. it makes it feel makes it feel more special. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I've, I've, I'm still not convinced that I have any real understanding of what, what the color coding symbols mean. I feel like we did have a theory at one point, and now I've forgotten it again. But anyway, I don't know what black means here. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, black. There was a whole arc called black, so um, that was a very dark time for Victoria. So maybe it's just to kind of relate to the idea of like, uh, kind of a dark night of the soul for sure. Fortuna. It just is because it's the boss level. When you're playing those games, the, the, the boss levels are different colors. You're right. That's that's what it is, actually. So yeah. let's talk about Contessa and let's talk about doubt, because um, what Rain says here is when he reached out to her, when he communicated her, he was thinking about uh, back in the teacher fight. She showed doubt. She made us make the call. If she was a perfect future telling machine, then she'd just make the call. And I love this because this is kind of what we were talking about. Like this is what back in that time, like we had we had lots of conversations, you and I, about Contessa, the Contessa that pushes the choice of these three options onto these people. Right. And we were trying to like 40 chess it in some ways. Um, well, it's making them choose as part of her plan. But I, I think this brings it back to it's just the fear of doubt. And this has kind of been something that I think we said even way back in worm is kind of key to who Contessa is as a person that like she's had this crutch for so long. The, the, the terror of uncertainty is like almost debilitating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the imagery of the scene is, is just sh showing the child, right? It, it's focusing on the child Fortuna and, and the mentality of, of this scared, alone, uncertain child um, and, and reminding us or basically showing us like this is what has been under the surface the whole time. Back back in that chapter when she punted the choice over to Sveta yeah. and the others, that was that was this. That was not a, a 12 dimensional chess move. That was her being a scared child, not really willing to um, just make to, to, to make the call. She doesn't have this yeah. confidence yeah. that she. I mean, she seems confident when she's using her magic power, but that's not who that's not who Fortuna is on the inside. Sure, sure. And I love that it all kind of to me comes back to the conversation she had with Taylor at the end of the last book. I think that like we've talked about this several times before, but it, that conversation feels so important to me now, especially as she's seemingly uh, at least not maybe not the big bad, but one of the primary humps that they're going to have to get over here. Um, this conversation where she talks with Taylor about the choices that Taylor made and if she would do things differently. And I, and like, you can kind of see where this, this root of doubt takes hold when you talk to this, this girl who 
is looking back on everything and saying, yeah, I would have done stuff differently. I would have prioritized different things. And then you can kind of be like, oh, fuck. Like you can see a contestant that's like, oh, that's terrifying. Like, could I have prioritized different things? Like what? And and regretting and like the guilt and the doubt and the uncertainty of what mistakes did I make? And, and if I continue to use this power, what mistakes will I continue to make? And it, it's just like, it's just a really clear line from that conversation to where we are now to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I hadn't made that explicit connection, but I, I agree completely. That's a great, uh, a great moment. It, it seems like it was probably a very important moment to her as a character, like to, to it's probably something that she thinks about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I like that. I like that connection yeah. there. Yeah. And I, and I would like, we see here in this moment that the the person the as you were talking about the the fortuna we see here is the girl um is a girl kenzie's age black haired with light brown skin wearing clothes i didn't recognize with a loose cloth and a girdle style belt that went from under where her breasts would be to her pelvis wrapped around her trunk and so victoria does the the fashion thing but um i i love this moment where she says our enemy and rain answers or ally um, and, and not to get like, I don't want to go too far into this, but I love that she was compared to Kenzie, who, again, I think is going to be the focus of the next interlude if there is one. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I, I think Kenzie's going to we've always we've always kind of suspected Kenzie's going to like play a really, really, really important role in the end of this book. And it seems to me that like that's where we're going. Yeah, I, I like this idea that, you know, Contessa, you know, the shard is this forward looking eye. It's 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 it thinks in terms of vision it's covered in eyes right mm-hmm. and kinsey is this mass surveillance counter surveillance tinker that her power is cl- clearly an eye also right yeah. if, if she was going to have a if she was going to have a titan it would be covered in eyes too yeah. so i've always kind of wondered if there wasn't something there yeah well let's hope they can see eye to eye ah uh, okay <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry okay. i'm sorry i apologize to everyone yeah you, you got me uh so, so the rest of the team arrives and their shock and grief informs everyone what has happened. Around them, we see memories of loss, grief, regret, and endings and death play to extenuate the moment. Oh, it's such a good, powerful, sad moment where everyone's like, Sveta just comes down. And I love the moment where Victoria first thinks like, is she sad because this is Contessa? This is the person that she hates and she's now like in her house um, and that's really making her sad. And then immediately notices that it's like she's not even paying attention to any of that stuff. Like she's not even aware of any of that stuff. It's yeah. because of Tristan. And it is so sad. And I love like Rain, um, like just kind of quietly shuts off Kenzie's machine so that they'll stop hearing the Fortuna memories play in the background. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a small little thing that he does, like where he's like, we need si- in this moment, we need silence. I-, I want just us. I want no other distractions. I want just the, the team together supporting each other in this grief. Um, and he just quietly does it. And I, I, I think it's so great. I think it's so great. Yeah. I love this. The, the one word that rain hugs Byron clumsily. It's, yeah. it's like, it's not, it's not cool. It's just heartfelt. Yeah. And, and of course he gives it, his, he gives his trademark. Oh man. Oh man. Yeah. With more emotion than I've heard from him in a long while now. So almost as if like the rain that can deal with it, is this the one thing that he can't deal with? I don't know. I don't yeah. Know. I think that that's, I think you're right on there. Like he, he has been in soldier mode this whole time. He has just kind of been going you're just doing the thing doing doing the work of being 
being a cape and dealing with the shit. And yeah, th- this yeah. has just crossed the line where he's like, okay, I can't just soldier this off. This is really bad. And, and it gets through to him, I think. Yeah. And of course the, the big thing to me is, and I think further evidence that we're going to be focusing on Kenzie next is that everyone on the team is here, but Kenzie is not really here, right? She's there via camera but she's in she's somewhere else. And I think Victoria says, I hope she has her friends around her, but we don't know if she does. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also like the text is very interesting because it describes Kenzie as freezing. And part of me wonders, did she just like bail out of the system and leave her copy, her like her hologram there? And she's just bailed out of it to go do something else. I thought um, there was a pretty good chance that that's what had happened, actually, that, that yeah. she that she her grief her reaction was so severe that her that she either shut it off or it just shut itself off or something mm-hmm. yeah that was that was right that yep. was yeah i'm yeah. very very uh, i'm uh, uh, the world's oldest most broken record but i'm very worried about Kenzie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's gonna be really funny when she just turns out to be fine and nothing yeah. happens to her yeah the, the greatest trick wild boy ever played was making <laughs> it so Kenzie is fine yeah uh all right (laughs) so our discussion question all right from last week was select one ward character and talk about how acceptance saved them or conversely how lack of acceptance failed to save them uh Zetsuo says uh riley's self-exile They say she could never find that certain level of acceptance that she would have needed, but most of all, in the end, she put the blame on herself and not on others. Of of all the horrible things Jack did, the creation of Bonesaw is especially awful because she never fully came back from it. That's what's most sad of all. Yeah, I I love that. That is, this is going to be a depressing answer, Matt. I just realized this. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people actually did go with uh, people who failed to uh, find acceptance, so... It is. I think it's, I think it's a lot more interesting to talk about than the successes um, yeah. because I I think failure demonstrates theme a little bit like through outlining the way in which people fail. Um. Uh. So yeah, it's, it's like a negative result to accentuate a positive result or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Nugget Blaster 69 names Egg as a great example of a lack of acceptance. He's the most bitter character in Ward. While those Case 53s have certainly not forgiven Cauldron, they've come to grips with the reality of what happened to them and are able to continue their lives despite their trauma. Egg, on the other hand, remains fixated on revenge even when it's out of his reach. Yeah, that really struck me, this idea that that he is somehow still can't accept that Dr. Mother and his revenge is impossible. Like, like that, that's, that's fundamentally why he's so mad at Sveta. It's like, you, you took my revenge away from me. I'm, I, I hate you. It's like, yeah, you, look, you're never going to get your revenge. Yeah. You have to accept you're never going to get your revenge or you're just going to go crazy. Um, yeah, I think that's that. Kalsubalu V2 goes with Tristan. The arc started with nobody on Breakthrough being willing to admit that they're susceptible to cracking. Tristan fir- first can't accept his situation, leading him to do terrible things, and then can't find acceptance from others once he has tried to make amends. And then when finally others offer him acceptance, he can't accept their acceptance. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, I guess that's what... there. I saw there was a spoilery one before yeah. I had read the chapter, and I guess I guess that's what that was. That was that one. Okay, cool. Uh, Shuckle Puku says Rachel being accepted by the Undersiders, e- even despite some of her treachery. 
was what allowed her to grow into the woman who offered Kenzie a puppy. Oh, Matt, that's a good one. Yeah. When Kenzie mentions that she's afraid she might hurt the puppy and Rachel quietly says, you'd have to try to hurt him. We know how far she'd come. We did. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and then nothing bad happens after that scene involving the puppy. So it's all just very positive and good. Yep. 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 Sarah Penguin talks about both Kinsey and Candy. She says both of them have to come to grips with the idea that they don't deserve what happened to them. They finally get to a point where they can accept that the problem isn't actually with them, but with the people who victimized them. Um, I think I think probably both of them, you could consider them to be in, in the process of coming to terms with that. But yes, I, I, I like this framing for Kinsey because we haven't really talked about Kinsey as it pertains to acceptance and th- this idea that a big part of what's, you know, her issue is that she sort of, I think, feels like she deserves to be treated the way she's been treated by her parents, by the people who have kind of blacklisted her for her behavior. And she I would say does not have a a great deal of self-acceptance for who she is and for how it's her parents fucking fault that they treated her that way, not her fault. Yeah. Um, But I think that maybe she's working toward that. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, Daedalus Fallen writes about Victoria herself. Especially lately, she seems like someone with a problem with acceptance. She's always striving to be better, never accepting the status quo with herself or with the world. It's led her to some pretty dangerous decisions in recent arcs. It has indeed. That's a good point. Yeah, I think that the uh, fuck that is, if anything, the flip side of lack of acceptance. Because we see that as almost a positive. We do. I, I think we see it as a pretty clean positive, actually. We, you see something that's wrong in the world and you say, fuck that. Well, that is that is lack of acceptance. But yeah. if you just accepted it the way it was, that's not good either. Sure. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, but I think I think there are limits to that. Right. And I, and I think that's one of the things the book might be exploring. Right. Like, I think acceptance is not. Yeah, I'm fine with the things the way they are. Um, there is a limit to everything. Um, like you should strive to make things better. But at, at some point you have to accept that, like, you are only limited in your power to do to do that. And there's also the lens where um, what Victoria was doing for like the first half of the story was trying to, you know, bail out a ship with the whole bottom of the hull torn out. Like like there was no there was never going to be any way that they could like save hollow point because the whole city is going to fall into a hole in space time. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, finally, Professor Crispy points out that Prancer couldn't accept that he wasn't 17 anymore. <laughs> so as soon as Velvet wasn't there with her magic pixie dust to keep him running good, he fell back into his old ways, which had the positive side effect of numbing the pain of losing Velvet, which he also couldn't accept. Moose couldn't accept that his friend and lover Prancer was becoming a scumbag. When the cracks hit, Prancer welcomed the change, and when Moose looked around at all the misery and death his enabling had helped cause, he joined his friend in Hades. I like that. That's a good, a good answer. answer. Yep. I like it a lot. A lot of good answers. I mean, I think I think we have an embarrassment of riches in terms of places to find this theme in, in the in the book. But yeah, these bo- these answers did a great job uh, pulling these out and, and making them very clear. And of course, I, I did you know a hatchet job on some of these, trying to summarize them down to. Um, something that we could read in a reasonable time frame, but uh, all these answers are are obviously very long and and eloquent and clear, and uh, you should read them if you haven't. Mm -hmm. So next week's discussion question, what is your favorite fate worse than death from a wild bow story? And what does it mean? Oh, what does it mean? That's the tough part. So 
I mean, I'm just going to, like, for context or whatever, like, going Titan is one of those fates worse than death, right? Like, sure. like, like death, death is, death, so there's a big death in this chapter. That's obviously why, like, the, the crux of the, of the discussion is, like, Tristan's death is, in some sense, preferable to going Titan. Um, so what, is, what does going Titan mean uh, that makes it worse than, than death? Um, another example would be like the gray, the gray boy loops, for example. Um, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to give somebody else a chance to talk about it. But like, yes, it's probably worse than death. Why is it in the story, though? What does it mean? What does it represent? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. So that's all we've got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show. So feel free to provide us with advice, questions or thoughts on this week's reading. Yeah, um, yeah. where was I? Yeah, you can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over at our Twitter account, 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 <laughs> at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is scottdaily85. And Matt, the winner of the Iowa caucus, <laughs> is at Mordenomail. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an honor. It's an honor to accept. I, I, I was surprised. Um, yeah. Anyway. We uh, shocked if- the nation. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, pretty much anywhere else that you can listen to podcasts. Um, as always, you can find this and all the other shows we do over at doofmedia.com. That's where you can find the newest show in the Doof Media podcasting network. We want more. Yep. As well as everything else. Yep. As well as well as all the other all the other ones. Again, yeah. If you if if uh, right now the name of that feed is actually Methods of Rationality podcast. I think that um, it's probably going to be changed in the future. But for now, if you look up Methods of Rationality podcast, that is what will allow you to find it. Um, all right. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and if you like any of our shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash doofmedia. Supporting us on Patreon at the $5 per month level gets you access to the monthly Doof Crew Hangout sessions where we do stuff like play erotic tabletop RPGs, um, (laughs) act out AI dungeon scenarios, and play Jackbox games, as well as the ability to vote in our quarterly fan art and costume contest and the excellent Discord chat. Um, and as always, while you're over there on Patreon, signing up for that $5 tier, uh, make sure you head on over to Wildbow's Patreon at patreon.com slash Wildbow and donate to him as well. This is his world. We're just playing in it. That's true. Uh, this week we have uh, some new patrons. Uh, welcome Bidoof's Kez and Mistfist and new Doof Dancer AA and new Supreme Leader Doof Koala's DLP. Wow. Really appreciate it, y'all. Yeah, Koalas is one of our uh, long, long-time patrons that uh, just up to that level this week. So thank you so much to Koalas and to every single one of you that support us, whether it's monetarily through our Patreon or just support us by leaving us rating, reviews, sharing the podcast, doing all that cool stuff. Thank you so much to everyone that does that. Um, if you guys have not rated or reviewed us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher yet, please do that. It really helps us, and we like to read them on the show. It's a lot of fun, and it makes us feel all good. So please do that. Yeah, that'd be real swell. Mm -hmm. And that's all we have for you this week. We'll be back next week where a maybe Kenzie-based interlude occurs. Who knows? Yeah.